This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tab, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Hello and welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today's guest is Darren Karp. You may know Darren from her work on Bravo and as Andy Cohen's assistant, but Darren also has a great podcast with a co-host called Martinis and Murder. Each week, Darren and John break down a specific murder case in a humorous way while enjoying martinis or other drinks. So basically, Darren is living my dream. She gets to talk about Bravo and murder every day. (laughs) Darren, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Whoever thought that you could combine Bravo and murder into a job? And drinking. I have managed the impossible. <laughs> and drinks. And drinks. And get paid for it. I mean. That's, that's the fun part. What a dream. What um, a dream. Now, tell me, tell me, how did this all go down? How did you get involved with this podcast? Uh, that's a good question. So my partner and I, John Thrasher, uh, he works at Oxygen. And essentially, he kind of did what I do at Bravo. He was creating videos for Oxygen back before it was a true crime network. And him and I actually met on a red carpet because we were both doing talent stuff there. We met on a red carpet. We hit it off and we decided to start our own podcast, just kind of messing around. We had really good personalities. It was really it was just a way for us to kind of vent about about our lives and say what the interesting things that we do. And so we did that for about two years and then oxygen was rebranding to be true crime all the time. And as soon as that happened, you know, they kind of knew that John was heavy in the podcast world. He had hosted a couple Harry Potter podcasts and Glee podcasts. So they went right to him. I was like, Hey, you know, we want to capitalize on serial and everything that's happening, would you want to create a show? And he was like, yes. And I definitely want to bring Darren into it because we have such good rapport. He came into my office. We honestly just talked about it for about an hour and Martinis and Murder was born. Uh, They wanted to do something alliterative. And then John's boss wanted to make sure that we could drink during the show because we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about it with a little bit of a twist. And that's how it happened. That's crazy because one of my next questions was, how did you meet John? Now, okay, yeah. so you two, are, you two are like real life friends. We are real life friends, yes. And we met on a red carpet just kind of interviewing people. You know, we had a mic and, and we hit it off right from there. Well, he sounds adorable and I would love to meet him. You definitely can. He is a, he's the most adorable. How much, uh, how much work goes into it? Do you, I mean, do you have to learn the details of every murder or is it, you know, you're lightly touching on it and you have the details in front of you or do you have to like deep dive into every single one? That's a good question. I mean, some I know really, really well because it's sort of, it's an interest of mine anyway. You know, I've been following, I love the John Bonet case and Charles Manson and we did JFK's assassination and Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy, these, these big names. I knew about those details. So it does require a lot of work. We have a research team and we have a producing team that essentially puts together all the facts because unlike maybe a normal podcast where you're just kind of like, Shooting, you know, shooting around some ideas with friends. We're represented by a network. So we have to make sure that everything is factually based. We don't want anyone suing us. We have a lawyer on the line for every single show that we record. Uh, the good news is, is that podcasts, as you know, are edited. So if we say something stupid that doesn't make sense, we can always edit it out later. But we do have sheets and sheets and sheets of research that we look at and kind of compile a story. And then when John and I are ready to record, which we do usually every single Wednesday, 
Uh, that's our drunk hour at four o'clock on Wednesdays. We put together the script and kind and we have it in front of us, but then everything else that we're kind of talking about or the jokes, that's just me and John ad-libbing. So we kind of, we read through it, we talk about it a little bit, but a lot of it is is improv and just kind of like fly by the moment and see see where it ends up. So there is a lot of research that goes into it. And we don't mean to be funny we because we're not comedians. We're not professional in any sort of way. But we try and keep a little bit of a light heart about everything that we do. And one of the things that we really also want to make sure that we talk about is that a lot of times people glorify, I think, the murderer or the disappearance of and they never really talk about the victims. And we try and talk about the victims and give them a little bit of a backstory as well so we can make sure that those names aren't forgotten. Yes. Listen, like there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there and you think about My Favorite Murder or, you know, some of the bigger ones. And they are telling the facts, of course, and they've researched it. But, you know, sometimes they'll come to a stumbling block and be like, I don't know, you know, (laughs) because they don't know. So I think that's interesting that you guys, because you're related with oxygen, you sort of have to keep it factual. Um, I I think that's a and, you know, having a lawyer on the line, that doesn't seem to make you nervous. So that's good. It doesn't. She's lovely. I mean, the good thing is, is that it's not live. So it makes us feel a little bit better that, you know, we say something, we make a misstep, we make a joke that might be terrible or doesn't hit well. You know, we definitely edit it out because we want to make sure that we're representing not only the network really well, ourselves really well, and also the case, because these cases are it's hard to be funny about a case that can be so tragic. And our aim isn't to be funny. We just kind of try and be and the martinis definitely are flowing and that definitely helps but we try and be as respectful as possible and a lot of work goes into it okay so the other characters on the show so is megan is she a producer she is a producer she's our tech person you know telling us when to go when to stop you know if something's not right so she's become kind of a character uh in and of herself and she started with us a little over a year ago and she's wonderful and then what about Matt? Now, it's funny uh, because we, I, I'd written I don't want to bring him up. I, <laughs> I had written this question here and I was listening to one of your podcasts yesterday. And I don't know if yes. it was the most recent one, but you made a comment about Matt being inept. And that was the really <laughs> that was the word I had used on my question. Do you really hate him? And is he really inept? <laughs> he is definitely not inept. And I act. I don't want this to spread around. And I don't want, you know, this to I have a reputation to protect here. But I do really love Matt, and Matt is a good friend of mine. He's John's boss, so John is a little bit more protective of making fun of him, but I kind of let it I let it happen. And, you know, Matt and I actually met when we started doing the podcast. I didn't really have a relationship with him before. And I got to say, he's probably the best sport about it ever. And he's just this nice kind of foil for me and John as, as a release. You know, he's constantly late to our podcast because he has a big job at Oxygen. You know, he screws up our drinks or he gets lazy. And it's just kind of nice to have this tertiary character that's involved, but sort of a foil for John and I. But I do really love him and he works very hard on it and he's a great sport okay you do know that every time that voice comes on it scares the shit out of me and I, if in my car I almost go off the road or sometimes I just have it on my airpods and I'm walking along and it comes on out of the blue and I just about jump into a bush every time it oh, is it's so terrifying. scary <laughs> even when I'm expecting it to happen it's terrifying and let alone when he walks around the office wearing his reindeer head it's 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 quite scary <laughs> Is he is he like um, is he like from this is way, way, way before your time, but like the unknown comic, like you're not allowed to know who he is. I don't exactly. Yeah, he's supposed to be anonymous as much as possible. I mean, if you 
it, the internet exists, you know, it was 20, 2018. If you dig enough, if you, if you dig hard enough, I'm sure you can figure out who he is and what he looks like, but we kind of like him to remain anonymous and have him be, you know, just our, our, our shitty bartender on the side, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny and he's, it's just amazing. And it all kind of happened organically. Uh, we never thought that Matt was even going to really play a part outside of kind of being the producer or at least telling us the recipes. And then after a few episodes, we just kind of started making fun of him or he, you know, didn't know what a teaspoon was. And he's our bartender and he didn't know what a <laughs> teaspoon was. And he pronounced it terse burn. He didn't know what T-S-P-S meant. This is like a 45 year old man. So that we just had to latch on to and make fun of. And it's just become sort of a signature catchphrase for us. Okay, it, it is funny. Yeah. Uh, now, do you always have the same bartender? Because I've gone back and listened to some I hadn't heard before, and it seems like sometimes it's Matt, sometimes it's someone else. Yeah, we have a staff boozer, Gina, who actually recently joined our team, and she has a lot of relationships with, she is like our true bartender where she knows the liquor world and she knows what pairs well together and what would make you know what would fit for the case and so she kind of gives Matt the tool that he needs to create a great drink for us so we have her on sometimes when Matt doesn't want to say what the ingredients are and she she called our staff boozer uh, but for the most part it's Matt and Gina just making our drinks every single time sometimes we have guests but no one has ever made us a, a cocktail outside of Matt and Gina. Now, the the second podcast that you do, Another Shot, do you do you record yes. that in the same day? And did you always do that? Because going back to some of your podcasts, I didn't see that you always did that. That's a new addition probably a couple months ago when we started our Facebook page. We have this the most compassionate, amazing, funny, hilarious fans. And we all started this Facebook page. And honestly, everyone is so active on it. People send us amazing facts and this and that. And so they always had questions for us. So we thought that another shot wasn't going to be about a murder, but sort of a way to get to know me, Megan, John and Matt. And, you know, we take fan questions and we talk about our fans and it's just kind of a free flowing conversation where we don't feel like we have to stick to some really bad topic, you know, in terms of it being, you know, very scary and very gruesome. This is just kind of get to know us. And that's kind of how we started it. It was it was honestly just as a result of the fans being so great. And we wanted to give them the opportunity to get us know to get to know us on a personal level. Well, the best thing you guys did recently that I thought was hilarious that someone wrote in a question saying, what are your serial killer traits? It's honestly the best question ever. In fact, our mutual friend, Taylor Strecker, I told her this story and she was like, I have to incorporate this question forever. And it's I've, I've used it at parties since then. And it's a great question. I mean, so, of course, I had to think about what mine were. And I'm like you. I like to unpack when I get home from vacation. I unpack everything. Right. Right. Immediately. Away. Immediately. You, I, I can't have it sitting there. That's just not right. It's going to get wrinkled. It's going to get smelly. I don't like that. And another thing I do is no matter if I'm drunk or tired or whatever, I will always wash my face before bed and take my makeup off and moisturize. Me too. <laughs> we are the same person. We are both serial killers together. We're going to do a martinis and murder about us because clearly we are serial killers. The funniest thing ever was when... You asked Megan, hey, what's yours? And she texted her fiance. And yes. he said, oh, it has to be the taxidermy. <laughs> you guys were like, what? We never knew. We've been with her for a year. And we were like, wait, you collect taxidermy? That should be something that you say within the first five minutes of meeting anyone, in my opinion, because it's so weird. It turns out she does. 
and her fiance's mother was like kind of freaked out by them that she, in order to make them seem more friendly, made them outfits and hats. And so on our Facebook page, and we can send this around, there's pictures of Megan's taxidermy wearing little like top hats. It is the weirdest thing you will ever see. And it's so, it's so perfect. So perfect. I mean, that was hilarious. This is all my, my note here. I wrote, I am concerned about Megan and her tiny taxidermy. <laughs> I figured, I figured serial qualities while well, we could figure out what we have for each other. Our significant others would have a way better answer. And of course my significant other, if you listen, said she wrote back immediately and she was like, you don't know what empathy is and you have all emotions. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was harsh. That was harsh. <laughs> That was very harsh. She's like, I'm getting myself into trouble here. And I was like, absolutely. I hate you. But it was funny. It was good for the moment. Well, then let me ask you this. Another kind of cool thing you guys did recently was you got to interview Mary Jo Butterfugo. Yes, we did. And she is the nicest person in the world. Now, you're pretty young. So, I mean, this case uh, was around when I was, it must have been in my 20s, right? I mean, that was First of all, the whole time she's talking, she reminds me so much of her accent and everything. It was just like the New Jersey Housewives, even though I know it was, she's Long Island. Yes. But I mean, what for a person that's so into, you know, crazy true crime, what a dream to get to interview her. Honestly, we were we were fl- we were floored that one, we got the opportunity to interview someone like that. Two, she's legitimately the nicest human being in the world. And she answered every question with such grace. And we just, we could have spent five hours with her. Uh, and she and her case sort of kicked off uh, the new season of Snap that just premiered on Oxygen. And so that's kind of why she was doing her press junket that day. But she was, I mean, I've certainly never talked to anybody who has been shot before, let alone someone who still has the bullet in their head and survived from it. Her story is absolutely insane. And, you know, the weird thing that that we found was that she's a mom at the end of the day. Like, she doesn't even want to talk bad about Joe. She never had anything bad to say about him. First and foremost, she's a mother to her kids. And she forgives Amy Fisher for everything that she did. And I remember the case, but I was only like five years old when it came out. So I just remember sort of my parents talking about it. I knew who Amy Fisher was. You know, she was kind of the butt of everyone's joke jokes back in the 90s. And now... Uh, you know, everything is sort of brought up. And the weird thing about Mary Jo is she says that, you know, I wasn't famous for anything. I was sort of like tabloid famous. So people come up to her all the time. And I said, well, what's the number one question you get? Because to me, it would be something about the bullet or being shot in the head. And, and she said that the number one question she gets asked is why did she stay with Joe for so much for so long after she was shot? Yeah. And it was incredible to hear her, you know, her talk about it. And I think that's, it's definitely a testament to her being a mother first. You know, she didn't want to just leave Joe. She wanted to figure it out. She loved Joe. You know, she grew up as like a very strict Irish Catholic girl. You know, you don't get divorced and you, and you put everything on the line for love and you try your best. And she did all that. And honestly, like she was the best mother I've ever talked to in the world. She was so, so, so sweet. Well, hearing her retell the story and you know i remember it you know and then of course it's been it's been like like she was talking about the tabloids it's been a story that's been around for so long but when she was telling it from her point of view you could really see okay so she was working on something in the backyard and she came to the front door and what was so weird was i didn't realize that amy fisher said to her your husband is having an affair with my sister i didn't realize that either and i know she gave a false name but I didn't realize it either. And I didn't realize, and maybe this was just a, you know, 
because I was so young when it happened, I didn't realize that proof of that was some auto body shirt, you know, like, oh, I found this in my sister's bedroom. So therefore, Joe Buttafuoco was having a relationship with my sister. It all seemed kind of crazy. And the way that Mary Jo sort of says it, she's like, I just thought Joe was being dumb. You know, I wasn't even mad. I was just like, who's this dumb kid coming here? Like, what did Joe do now? You know, what happened? What's going on? Like, she never even took this scornful wife approach of being like, oh, my God, you know, believing everything. She was just kind of like, what is happening? Turns around and then boom. Yeah. I mean, the story was crazy. And it really listen. I was when I was listening to it, I had it on my headphones and I was at the beach. So every day, like I was going on this long walk and listening to this, these martinis and murder episodes. And I was listening to hers and I was just kept walking, kept walking, kept walking because I was like, this story is yeah. unbelievable. Like I could listen to her talk about it all day. And she was, like you said, super inspiring. She didn't. <sighs> She didn't – it wasn't that she didn't have bitterness or anger or – but she just was kind of like probably over it and had moved on in her life and was focusing on the positive. Yes, that's exactly right. And I and I think – you know, when I asked her about that, because I think anyone – you know, she was shot in the face. She almost died. You know, she still has the – she's paralyzed on one side and she's completely deaf in one of her ears. And to think – you know, that you could forgive somebody like that is otherworldly to me. I mean, that's just that that takes so much strength and so much bravery that I could never imagine it. And she said she was like, it wasn't always that way. I mean, granted, we're 25 plus years removed from the situation. So she's had time, you know, time heals all wounds. It helps. But she said she's like, I just didn't want to carry around that anger anymore. It wasn't helping anybody to do that, you know, I think it was, I actually learned this quote from Bethany Frankel to bring it back to Bravo, but it's like drinking a glass of poison and hoping the other person gets sick. And that's really how she described what hating Ian Fisher felt to her. And it was hurting her on the inside, hurting her children, especially having this polarizing last name of Buttafuoco, like that, you know, everyone, everyone sort of knows what that is. That's a tabloid name. That's a tabloid headline. And so she just kind of let it go. And I think when she realized that she could forgive Amy was really the turning point in her life where she took lemons and made lemonade. It was an inspiring story. It really was. So on that note, what do you think is the most interesting case that since you've been working on martinis and murder that you have heard about that you had not heard about before? That's really good. I mean, to be honest, we have such a community of fans, so they're always giving us different types of cases. And I've looked up and researched a lot of different ones. One case that we haven't covered yet is actually a case that my dad recommended of this, this New York Supreme Court justice called Judge Crater, who disappeared in the 30s. And I was researching him the other day, and there's he's never been found. He just disappeared randomly one day. This was this was sweeping New York City by storm in the 30s, and I found out he went to my college. So that just went me down a huge rabbit hole. So I'm hoping we cover it now uh, in the future. Honestly, I think one of the things that I had never heard about, which is actually in today's kind of cases, is our first ever episode, which was the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer. They just recently caught uh, the suspect for the Golden State Killer a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. So this was this was massive. It all brought back to the first to the first episode we ever did, you know, and he's known as a Visalia Ransacker, the original Night Sucker. I mean, this guy had raped and murdered over. I mean, the number can't be known for sure because he's never there's so much there's 40 years of him doing this, but over 50 women. And the fact that he never got caught, even when DNA evidence is you know, fully in the spectrum now, 
I never even heard about that case. I grew up, I grew up on the East coast. I grew up in Jersey. You know, I wouldn't necessarily hear about any local things happening in California, but that case shook me and re and researching it and listening to the voicemails and certain things that this guy would do as psychological torture was very moving to me and extremely disturbing. And I will never be able to get it out of my of my mind. Same for me. And I read name just went out of my head as I was thinking it. Um, Patton Oswalt's wife's book. And yes, it was a great yes. book. And same thing when you've heard those tapes and things, it does just sort of like creepily sort of get under your skin. And just right when you right when you Ugh. said it, I had like a little flash of like hearing that. Ugh. It, it was interesting yeah. to me that when I went back to listen that your first one was East Area Rapist. And then I looked at the date and I said, oh, well, this predates, you know, them finding out all this stuff. It just sort of it sort of yeah. snowballed all. And that's interesting that it was your your first one. And now it's we hope solved. I hope it is. And it's really hard to say, you know, until all the evidence comes through and these things take months. But the fact that th this sort of happened and what's weird is that during our first episode, you know, John and I were kind of putting in our potential theories of who it could be or how they relate. And John had mentioned that he could see it being a former police officer just due to the evidence and how he knew everything. And he knew the neighborhood and this and that. And it turns out the guy that the suspect that they caught was a former police officer. So John was extremely prescient, you know, two years ago talking about this. It was absolutely wild that he had said that. And, uh, you know, it just made us more excited about the things to cover. And actually today we're recording I know this won't come out for a little while, but today in September, we're recording today. And the case that we're covering is this guy named Ed Gain. And it was actually uh, the guy who's based on Silence of the Lambs and Psycho. And I was reading his wiki and I was reading all this research. It is truly the most disgusting thing I have ever, ever read about. And I almost threw up at my desk reading the details. So be on the lookout for that case when we talk about it today. Oh, it sounds like a it sounds like a two martini show. It's a four martini show. <laughs> it's a four martini show for sure. And uh, speaking of solved murders, if you could solve just one murder that is unsolved, such as John Bonet or something like that, wh what would be your choice? Gosh, that's a great question. And we've sort of talked about this on martinis and murder before. I mean, I would love, I think the JFK thing would be great just because there's so many conspiracy theories surrounding it that I would like to officially put that to rest. You know, Jean Benet, I have my theories about Jean Benet. Jean Benet was the first ever murder case I can remember as a kid, remembering the details, remembering what was going down, being involved in it. And I think now that we still don't really have a grasp and there's still so many theories out there, I would say that's that's one of the things I would like to solve at least because it, ex it existed in my lifetime and I felt like it really changed me. John Bonet is it for me too. I, I also yeah. I also have the theory. We probably have the same theory. But yeah, I would just love to know for sure, you know, what happened to that little girl. I you know Me as well. Yeah. Me as well. And you know, they interviewed his brother on on Dr. Phil. I uh, interviewed her brother on Dr. Phil a couple years ago, I believe. And just hearing that interview and it coming back to light made me more passionate about wanting to solve it. Unfortunately, because it's family related and because, you know, there's a Patty is dead. And there was a, I, what felt like a lot of cover up here. And because we're 20 plus years removed, I just don't know if it'll ever be solved. I really, really hope it will be. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Now this is a sharp right turn. I'm going to give you, yes. I'm going to give you some rapid fire Bravo questions for uh, Shoot. Bravo fans out there would be mad if I didn't. 
Okay. Okay, here we you go. Got it. Number one, how long have you worked for Andy? Seven and a half years. Okay, number two, who is the nicest housewife that you've met? They're all they're all very sweet to me, but the one that comes top to, top of mind because I just saw her was Dorinda. Oh, I love Dorinda. She's really sweet. So, who is the nicest non housewife celebrity that you've come across? Well, Andy has really good friends. It's a testament to him. I love Sarah Jessica Parker, Kelly Ripa. They're sweet as pie. Honestly, just very humble, very sweet, very kind, very attentive. The funniest watch what happens live was when Andy had on you and was it Sarah Jessica's assistant and it was Kelly Ripa's and Anderson it was well they had him on twice it was Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa and then the other one was Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest and all of us were on yeah that was hilarious <laughs> we got ourselves into trouble with that one that was a funny idea okay Definitely. so on the flip side who's the rudest celebrity or housewife that you can say Honestly, I don't really have any rude people. And maybe it's just because, you know, I'm maybe other people on the show would have a different idea. But I think the fact that it's a testament to Andy being such a fantastic guy that people just treat me with such respect. I honestly don't have anyone at top of mind who's ever been rude to me in any sort of way. Well, they probably it's probably smart not to be rude to Darren. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would think it's smart, you know, and I'll take it. Even if you're even if you're fake nice to me because I have the best boss in the world, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta, do you think Candy has a sex den in her house? I don't. I think Candy's just probably, you know, open and kinky with her sexuality and, and the things she likes. You know, she, she has a whole web series, a whole show based on it. She's very open, which is super refreshing. And so I think it's easy for people to judge that she's weird and crazy because for some reason in this culture, we look negatively upon sex. Uh, I just think she's, you know, kinky and wants to have fun. I just think that was a hilarious rumor that she was going to drug oh, Portia and drag her down to her sex den. I'm like, what? I are we watching Game of Thrones? What show are we watching here? Yeah. And also, you know, you're trying to ruin this poor woman's reputation who would never do anything like that. I mean, the fact that that rumor even came out was just insane to me. But it was it was interesting to watch and curious to see how Candy handled it all. And I felt bad because clearly she was hurt, you know, especially in this day and age. No one wants to be considered that. That's a horrible rumor to spread. And, you know, it obviously is unfounded, not true. But, uh, you know, I think it's Candy's an easy target because she is sexual and because she's open about it. I think I think she seems to be the the most boss bitch of all of them, right? I mean, oh, she yeah. is. I mean, the house. She was way famous and way rich before the housewives. I mean, she's successful. She's got Grammys. You know, she's been a songwriter for and in music for years. I mean, she she's got her career in, on lockdown. Yeah, she'll be just fine. Oh, she'll be just fine. Yes. Okay, Real Housewives of Dallas. Do you think Leanne Lockett can stay calm for the whole season? That's a great question because she's got hands. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to see a change. I don't know. It's hard. You're under a lot of pressure because not only do you have combative women around you and alcohol flowing, the cameras don't help. You know, it, it definitely exacerbates a situation. So I got to give it up to Leanne for trying to do self-improvement. But it's really, really, really hard, even under the best of circumstances, to keep your cool all the time. I guess we're going to have to see what happens. I'm hoping for because I can see the self-improvement and her wanting to be a better person. Yes. And then, of course, as fans, we want her to go crazy, but I also want her to be happy. Yes. Happy and healthy for sure with a little drama, you know, peppered in. For Real Housewives of New York, 
you know what I'm going to ask. Are you team Carol or team Bethany? I get this question <laughs> so much. In fact, the, you know, the third part of the reunion aired last night and I got a bunch of people Instagramming me, you know, saying like, okay, have you changed your mind? Because originally I had gone on, I had gone on the show and said, you know, I'm team Carol. This was, this was months ago. I was like, I'm team Carol as much as you can be any sort of team. And I said I was team Carol because I thought, and I still do think Carol really is the only one of that group who's very quick on her feet to combat Bethany's wit and quickness. You know, I've talked about this with Ramona and Dorinda and Sony even, and they said it's not that they are not capable of combating her. It's just that they're not quick, you know, quick with it. Like Bethany, if she's going at it, she's so smart and so vocal and so articulate that it can be very frustrating and, and it causes you to be flustered. And so I really felt like Carol was a very good foe for Bethany. I really didn't like that they they got they had such a bad friendship this season. I did think after the reunion though, you know, Bethany handled it the best way that she could and sort of put Carol in a place of Especially with the text messages, you know, we always say you bring the receipts. Um, I'm going to miss Carol. I like Bethany. I like both of them. I just, it's unfortunate because I'm going to miss Carol being such a good combatant for Bethany. But right now I probably have to be team Bethany only because a lot of people were attacking her at the reunion. And I can only imagine how that felt on her personally. Not fun yeah. to be attacked, and especially in front of cameras. Oh, and, and before it even started, they said, you know, we're the dream team. And so it was obvious they had it out for her. Yes. But I did like that moment at the end where, she, you know, Dorinda thanked her for what she said and, and they hugged. And that was so genuine. And, you know, you could tell even after Dorinda had said, you know, that really means a lot to me, Bethany. Bethany, you know, she shed a tear for her because I think she's compassionate. She's a mother. We're all women. We're all trying to be supportive of each other. And at the end of the day, when especially when you're not filming, like these women have real relationships and they care about each other. And it was really nice. Yeah. It was a good way to end, I thought, you know, it ended on a positive note in that regard. I agree. Okay, Real Housewives of Orange County, do you agree that David Bedore is a monster that could one day appear on Martinis and Murder? <laughs> That's a good question. Not what I was expecting. I hope for his sake he doesn't appear on Martinis and Murder because that will have sealed his fate. He sealed his fate. Um, you know, I'm glad to see them separated because I feel like this was the best thing for Shannon at the end of the day. Get her health in order. She is so nice, so fun. I interviewed her and Tamara together and they were like feeding me shots. We were having a great time. They were being wild and honest. And honestly, I think this is going to be the season of Shannon and you're going to see a whole new side of her an improved side of her. And she's really, really fun to watch. Um, I hope for David's sake, he does not come on my show. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Real Housewives of Potomac. That's my area here. Yes. Do you think Karen lives in that house? Oh, that's a good question. Do you think Karen lives in that house? I do not. You do not. All right. I do not. Um, just based on the fact that she isn't being like just saying, yeah, no, like no shit. I live in that house just based on her kind of being wishy-washy about the whole thing. You know, I think she lives there. No, I don't think she lives there. I think they live in Ray's bachelor pad that's in Silver Spring or wherever it is, and that they rent that house just for uh, filming because it's the furniture is totally staged. It's not their furniture. And I think they rent that house out uh, during the few months that they film. Interesting. And that's in Great Falls, right? I don't know. The, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, that's a really interesting perspective that I hadn't considered. The, the, the short answer is I'm not sure. I think 
you know, the way that they sort of approached it during the season was that it was extremely, it obfuscated the entire question. Like you'd ask them, hey, do you live in that house? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And you're like, well, that's still not a yes or a no. And so it definitely made me question, you know, for me, if a housewife doesn't live in the house that they're claiming to live, that would seem like it would get out pretty quickly. People watching your house, people not knowing whether you're coming in and out. You know, there was Robin had delivered that amazing. She looked amazing. She looked like Mario uh, delivering a pizza to the house and she never got it. I don't really know what ended up with that. I, I don't know. And I think that's because Karen has been extremely vague about it. I'm not sure the answer. I honestly don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Well, I work um, in the same building where Candace's husband, Chris, works. Oh, and I'm friendly with him, and I chat with him all the time, and I find him to be a delight. He seems so um, nice. He is really nice. And I asked him one time, I said, they don't really live in that house. And he said, why do you think that? And I told him my reasons. And he said, they do. They do live in that house. I said, are you sure? Have you been there? And he was like, oh, come on. So he doesn't really know either. It's hard to know. I mean, I'm sure they could afford it. Karen has an – I mean, like, she's the queen, you know. She's – She's she's the the grand madame of the whole thing. I mean, that's sort of the joke. So I don't see why she would fake living in that house. But it's hard to say. These housewives are always surprising me. Always surprising me. All right. Last one is Jersey. Yes. How do you feel about how do you feel about Margaret's pigtails? I mean, I really think they're cute. I love Margaret. She's so nice. I'm so excited to see her shortly when Jersey comes back. Um, you know, I mean, it's Andy always likes a side pony. And he always says that to me because he's like, it's cute. It's fun. It's an adult thing. And I kind of think that about Margaret. It's sort of her signature now. And so while it looks somewhat childlike or juvenile, I think on most adults, I, I think she can pull it off. And she's she's legitimately the nicest person ever. I love her. I think if I was going to be friends with someone, it would be um, Dorinda and Margaret. Ugh. I think those would be my those would be my buddies. And they're friends too. And I'm always like, can I get that invite to the Berserkshire so I can come hang out with Dorinda and Margaret? Like that's my oh dream my. team right there. My, I want them to come in and have a martini on Martinis and Murder. Oh my gosh, you could get Dorinda in there with some martinis, and that would be that would be comedy gold. Yeah, it really would. It really would. Lillison, I want to thank you so much for indulging me in this podcast. But here's what I ask every guest at the end. What podcast do you listen to? I listen to so many. Um, I could go through a million of them. I'll give you a, a top top list. I listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is a game show on NPR. I listen to This American Life. I listen to Savage Lovecast. I listen to Reasons Podcast. I listen to The Fifth Column. I listen to other murder podcasts, certainly when Serial comes out. I used to, live to listen to a Seinfeld one that just recently ended called Seinfeld. I I have a lot on my plate, let alone all the TV I have to watch. I, I'm very indulgent with my podcasts. I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, somebody asked me the other day, how do you listen to all these podcasts and keep up with your shows? I'm like, well, I watch the shows, and then I have to listen to the podcast about the shows. Right. <laughs> and then I have all my other podcasts I like to, my murder podcast. The shows about or, the shows. Right, exactly. Which is sometimes about that show, about a show that was about a murder. So, yeah, I, I hear you. It's, it, you know, it can, it can wear you down, but somehow I can, you know, find the hours in the day. Absolutely. And, and being a New Yorker, you know, I'm walking everywhere. I take the subway. So it's just kind of like reading a book. It's just kind of a way for me to relax and it's a good it helps the time go by as I'm commuting I agree okay listen this has been unbelievable and like I said we'll have to get together when I'm in New York and I'll be there in November sometime to see our mutual friend Taylor Strecker yes please hit me up I would love to finally meet you in person 
So tell my listeners where we can find you on social media and the digital things that you do for Bravo. Definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Carpe Darren, which is essentially just my name backwards, C-A-R-P-E-D-A-R-Y-N, across Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. Please follow me there. You can listen to Martinis and Murder anywhere you get your podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, the podcast app iTunes, wherever you want. And then I also do two Bravo web series called Throwback Bravo and Bravo Weekly Pregame. You can find those at bravotv.com slash weekly pregame or bravotv.com slash throwback. Oh my gosh, such a, such a pro. You just rattled that right off. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know how to promote myself, right? <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, thank you, Darren. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks.